Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. More than conquerors, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all these things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, Linda, thank you so much for bringing that reading to us. Really, it's terrific to be with you here today at uh, Creekside. Isn't it incredible to read? If God is for us, who then can be against us? The God of the universe, awesome in power and majesty, who by his very word flung stars out into space, who holds this world easily in the palm of his hand, who is reigning in heaven right now. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, if we're really honest, we know we've got a lot of things against us. Um, But I'm not talking about the little inconveniences of life. I had to pick up my youngest son, James, the other day from KFC, Friday night at 9.30, and I'm getting old, it's past my bedtime at 9.30, and we're waiting at the lights uh, to wait for the lights to turn green, to turn right. Kid you not, the lights went through two whole cycles before we finally got our green arrow. Has that ever happened to you? Ah, the universe is against me. Of course not. Now, there's so many things uh, that are against us if we are really real. It could be our health. Maybe you've got a lifelong autoimmune disease. How about a loved one in your family uh, making dumb choices that's just wrecking their life? Uh, What about worrying about the future? You know, I watch the news sometimes and think, what the heck is going on? How is COVID going to play out? What about my business for the future? What's happening with China? They're getting a bit bolshy. Take a moment just to think if there's anything that you feel is against you right now. I'm sure we can all think of something. If nothing's registering, the Bible actually says we have an enemy actively committed to our destruction, the devil. And he has a demonic legion at his beck and call. 
Now, the truth is, if we take our eyes off Jesus, it's not hard to freak out and be overwhelmed by everything that is against us. But guess what? What this passage is saying that is, is in comparison to God, they pale into, into insignificance. If God is for us, who then can be against us? And when we know this, when we grip this in our hearts, it strengthens our courage. It gives us hope to face the future with confidence no matter what we're going through. There's actually a deeper issue, though, that we face today. Um, I really do think we live at a unique time of history. I'm a history teacher over at Mueller. I love my job. But in the normal everyday business of everyday life, we don't realise how pervasive our secular culture is actually shaping us. I mean, we all know that advertisers spend billions of dollars trying to tempt us that we won't be fulfilled until we buy product X. We all think, oh, you can't con me. But do you ever get ads on your phone? Just, you know, they just pop up on your phone after you've been looking at stuff. Um, for me, I love riding my bike. You wouldn't know it to look at me, but I do love riding my bike. And then, boom, an ad will pop up on my phone. And sometimes it's really tempting. If you only get these better wheels that are made from carbon fibre, maybe you'll be faster riding your bike. And I'm thinking about it. I think, yeah, I could be one kilometre an hour faster. And then I realised, don't be an idiot, David. Don't get sucked in. The thing about secularism is it's a lot more pervasive than ads everywhere. In a very subtle way, our culture is always influencing us all the time. Now, there hasn't been some big public announcement on the news but our society is functionally immersed in atheism, practical atheism. The God of the universe seems irrelevant to normal everyday life to most people. There's no room for the supernatural God of the Bible. It just doesn't seem to connect with living in 2021. And this is actually really tricky to navigate, especially for the next generation. The younger ones coming through, who needs God when we seemingly can have everything without him. And the result is, as we know, there is very little knowledge of who God really is today. So what does that actually mean? What does it actually mean that God is for us? And that is the question we'll be looking at today. This is the big question that the passage in Romans 8 answers. Now, Romans is a fantastic letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a bunch of Christians, guess where? In Rome. Uh, we know that Paul was unusually gifted. Um, he was very humble, but he was a superstar of the early church. Uh, he used to be one of the most fiercest critics of Christianity. He even organised to kill off others who followed Jesus. That's how much he hated Christianity with a passion. But then, boom! He encountered the reality of King Jesus on that road to Damascus. He, overnight, he just became one of the most passionate advocates for Jesus. Absolute stark contrast, night and day transformation. And Paul um, was so consumed by his passion for Jesus and his good news, he was willing to travel anywhere across the Roman world. You can see in the map there a... Uh, map of all the different journeys he went on. And let me see if I can get this laser pointed. There's a key. So far out, that's about 300 k's just up to Antioch. He went all around here, even ended up in Rome, the capital of the empire itself. Huge empire. Huge empire. 
And Paul counted a privilege to bring this good news to the people of the empire. But before Paul came to visit Rome, he actually visited Rome at the end of his life, he wrote this letter first to encourage fellow believers living in Rome. Now, I want you to try and picture this group of believers, okay? They would have seen fairly puny, insignificant congregation. Maybe a few hundred meeting in different people's homes, living in the biggest, most sophisticated city in the world. In the midst of all the wealth that was being hoovered up from all the provinces around Rome, in the midst of all the culture they had, the architecture, the paganism, maybe there was two, three hundred Christians living in a city of a million people. And they did something. They were proclaiming that there was this guy, Jesus, was Lord. Jesus was king, not Caesar, in all of his greatness. And there's a painting of Nero in all of his opulence and splendor. Do you know how ridiculous this would have sounded to the urbane, sophisticated Romans? So what you're telling me is Jesus of Nazareth, who was a carpenter, who was an itinerant teacher, for real, you worship this guy as God, a criminal who's crucified on a cross. From where? Judea. Where's Judea? Some hick backwater province miles away from Rome. Never heard of it. That's the context that Paul is writing to these believers. And so Paul is writing to encourage them. He explains the significance of the good news of Jesus. And we know that this is the longest of his 12 or 13 letters that we have recorded in the New Testament. In fact, it's such an awesome letter. If you've never read it, I reckon it'd be terrific to read through over the next few weeks. Uh, get out your Bible, read a little bit each day. Uh, what I do is I get my Bible app and listen to my Bible app. Uh, just on my way to work. Fantastic letter. So rich, so much to think about, and it explains a lot of great things. But by the time we reach chapter 8 of Romans, we are reaching a mountaintop chapter of the whole Bible. Now, I don't know about you, but I love mountains. Um, I'm not very good at riding up them. I prefer riding on the flat surface. But I do get inspired by mountains. I mean, aren't you inspired by this view here? I've never been to a place like that. But I would love to visit a place like that. We just marvel at the beauty and the grandeur of the mountains. It just takes your breath away. Just far out. That's just unreal. We suddenly feel small, but in a good way. We get some perspective on how we fit in to this world of ours. And this is what happens to us when we come to Romans chapter 8. And verse 1 kicks it all off by saying, Therefore, there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is good news. No condemnation. Okay, so that sort of sets the scene for our passage today. Um, so if you've got your Bibles or your phones or the screen, uh, we're just going to look briefly at Romans chapter, 30, uh, at chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? What can we say? What can we say? Nothing. It's unbelievable, but it's true. We can take it to the bank that the good news is actually true. It's based on history of things that have actually happened. But just to make his point, Paul five, fires off five unanswerable questions that provide ultimate assurance to those believers living in Rome 
and it provides ultimate assurance to us here today in Creekside in 2021. So students, you might want to, kids, sorry, you might want to count down with me. We're going to look at five questions, and when we get to the fifth one, we'll be pretty close to the end, okay? Can you do that for me? Let's go. Question one, if God is for us, who can be against us? In response to all the amazing truths of Roman 8, summing up the extraordinary nature of this good news, nothing else matters. If God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. God is for us. All opposition is as nothing compared to the greatness of God. God is not stressed at all about all those who are opposed to him. One pastor has written, God is wonderfully unworried by any potential challenger to his crown. He is not stressed at all. God's got this. We can trust him. Great book there if you're looking for a book to read on your Kindle. To back up and prove his point, Paul immediately launches into unanswerable question number two. So we're already up to number two. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, Jesus, graciously give us all things? Now, objectively speaking, how can we know, how can we really know for sure that God is for us? He did not spare his own son. If we've been around church circles circles for a while, we can sort of skim over this. We can sort of get used to it. But let's really feel what has been said here in Romans 8.32. In our family, we've been blessed with three wonderful boys. I wouldn't trade them for anyone. I love them to bits, even if I probably drive them a a bit crazy sometimes. Uh, But from the moment these three young men were just three little bundles of cuteness in their triple zero baby clothes, there is no way in the world I would ever let anything bad happen to them. You know what I'm talking about. But what does God do? God loves humanity more than we would ever do, even for our own children. God the Father sent his only son, the eternal son of God, into this messy, chaotic, sometimes dark world of ours. That is just mind-blowing. Would I do that? No, I wouldn't do it. Thank goodness I'm not God. Here's the thing. God is not silent. He is not far off and distant. He is not an imaginary friend that some atheists like to mock Christians with. God is with us. The very name Emmanuel, given to Jesus in Matthew 1.23, means God with us. Jesus took on flesh and blood. He entered into our experience here on the earth with all of its frustrations. More than that, God willingly gave up his son for us all to redeem us to himself. There is no greater sacrifice that God could make for us. Just think of what this means. If Jesus didn't come, if God didn't provide Jesus for us, we are hopelessly lost. We are dead in our sins. We are under the sentence of the wrath of God. Our future is unimaginably bleak. Instead, what do we have? 
all things. We have everything. We have God, full stop. We're adopted as the very children of God. We're members of his family. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We have a glorious inheritance to look forward to. The new earth, the home of righteousness, where everything will be as it should be. Now, this might sound too good to be true for some people. Paul anticipates its objection with his next unanswerable question. So we're up to question three. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Now, sometimes, to be honest, we might doubt this good news. When we stuff up, our consciences condemn us. From experience, we all know the accusing lies of the deceiver telling us we're not worthy. You call yourself a Christian? You pathetic sinner. Well, guess what, folks? When we accept the Lord Jesus as our Saviour, we can be sure of this. God the Father has chosen us to be a part of his family. And who's got the authority to bring any charge of condemnation against us? It's not the deceiver. Only God can condemn us. But what is God doing for his children? He justifies us. He declares us right with him. Completely right. And he's utterly just in doing so because of Jesus. How sweet is that? And so this naturally leads to unanswerable question number four. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. No one can condemn us. Let that sink in just for a moment. It's a horrible thing to stand condemned, to have others accuse you of wrongdoing, whether it's online or at work with your mates. Even worse, having your own conscience condemn you. It's horrible to be under guilt. It's just so stressful. But guess what the gospel says? No condemnation. In fact, the only person who's got every right to condemn you is the only one who won't condemn us. But here's the thing. Jesus was condemned. He was condemned by the religious authorities of his day. He was condemned by the Roman authorities of his day. He was condemned by the spiritual forces of darkness who mistakenly thought they had won a great victory. When we grasp the extent of Jesus' love for the Father and his love for us, that Jesus would endure this, it's just mind-blowing. So Jesus takes great joy in being our advocate before the Father. In fact, right now, Jesus is interceding for us reminding the Father that he's already paid the penalty for our rebellion in full. What we've done in the past, what we've done today, what we might do in the future, Christ has paid it all. And so this astonishing truth leads to the final unanswerable question that Paul says. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution Famine, nakedness, danger, sword. No one, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. As Paul rattles off these seven things that could indicate to a person that didn't know better, hey, 
maybe God doesn't love me. I'm going through hardship or I'm facing persecution. Why am I having all these troubles as a Christian? What Paul is actually saying is he's highlighting the totality of everything that would appear to rob us of God's favour and love. Looking at it from a worldly point of view, none of us wants any of those seven things. And we could just as easily list other things today. COVID, uh, financial hassles, singleness, family worries, job concerns, anxiety about the future, you name it, these things have the potential to rob us of our joy. But the reality is, is that living in a fallen, broken world makes our hearts yearn for, to long for, the coming of the kingdom of God. This world is passing away, but we know that God's kingdom is coming. So in fact, it's actually a false economy to pin all of our hopes for living for this world. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You know, it's silly to only live for this world. It's actually a recipe for more anxiety, and ultimately, it's a recipe for despair. Even if the very worst was to happen, Paul was saying, it's actually worth it. Paul was willing to give up everything, even his life, to gain Christ and the gift of everlasting life through him. Now, this is, this is hard. It's hard for us to understand, hey, but do you actually know how liberating that is to be freed from the fear of death? When someone no longer fears death, the worst tyrant you can think of can no longer control those people through fear. Believe me, ever since the time of the first century, tyrants have been trying to use fear to suppress the truth about the good news of God. But what does the psalmist say? The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And so Paul ends in a really triumphant note of celebration, of joy, of rejoicing in these last three verses. No. That's the answer to all those questions. In all these things... We are more than conquerors through him, through Jesus who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Financial stress, COVID, health, the future, China, nothing. We are more than conquerors over everything that opposes the good news of Jesus. He really is the King of Kings. He really is the Lord of Lords. He really has conquered death. He really has conquered evil. He really has conquered suffering and sin and the devil and all those opposed to God's good rule. If God is for us, who then can be against us? Now, we need to remind ourselves of this constantly. As Shane reminded us, we tend to forget things pretty quick, especially for me. Short-term memory loss is terrible for me. God is for us. When we're tempted to believe the lie that God is not with us, remember, God is for us. When we're tempted to believe the lie that God is not good, 
Remember, God is for us. When we're tempted to believe the lie that God's ways are maybe not the best for us, it might rob us of our joy, remember, God is for us. When we're tempted to believe the lie that maybe God is irrelevant in 2021, remember, God is for us. He is there and he is for us. Knowing and believing and trusting that God is for us will keep us from becoming restless, to chase after the wind, and all the associated issues of anxiety and frustration and despair, when you just don't think you've got enough, when you're never satisfied, God is for us. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Do you have this confidence today? Do you know that God is for you? Have you accepted the free gift that God freely offers you today in Jesus. Think about it. No condemnation, absolute forgiveness of everything we've ever did as far as the East is from the West. Adoption into his family, eternal citizenship in the kingdom of God, a certain secure hope no matter what happens, purpose for living, no fear of death, and his presence with us in everything we go through with the Spirit of God. Do you have this confidence today? Well, what are you waiting for? Seriously, today is the day. Don't put it off another moment. Come and have a chat to Shane or one of the other elders or leaders. They would love to chat with you and just share how you can take hold of this free gift that has been offered to you today. Let's do business with God, hey? Let's pray that as we look to Jesus, we'll follow him fearlessly, knowing that he is for us. Let's pray. Father God, we are just so grateful for your word, for the truth of what actually happened in history, that you sent your son to come into this world as a baby. You sent your son to live the perfect life we could never live. You sent your son to die the death that we deserve, and you sent your son to rise again, conquering death and sin and suffering and devil and his henchmen. We thank you for this good news. We thank you for the free offer of the gospel today for every single person here, every man and woman, every boy and girl. We pray that we take hold of this gift today, that we would have the confidence to know that you are for us. Help us to be filled with boldness and with courage and fearlessness, Lord. Strengthen our faith. Help us not to fear what other people might do to us. We thank you that you are for us. Who possibly can be against us? We worship you and thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen.